2: On Caregiver SOS on air, I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. And Carol Zerniel, it is great to talk with you again about caregiving.
3: It is great to be back. I, I'm so excited. Um, I've talked, had several conversations in the last week about caregiving, and I'm amazed at how mainstream it has become compared to when we first started the show. So many more conversations than I've ever had.
2: Yes. When we first started the show, we talked to people who were caregivers who didn't know they were caregivers.
3: That's right. That still happens, but at least uh, the world is aware that caregivers exist. Yes. We're
2: delighted to welcome to Caregiver SOS on air, Carolyn A. Brent. She has an MBA and an honorary doctorate degree, and author, legislation advocate, and a nonprofit founder. She's an award-winning and best-selling author. In elder care legislation, she is an advocate, also known as a bodybuilder and health and wellness guru, as well as the founder of Deep Beauty Health and Wellness University. And uh, Carolyn, it's great to see you. Welcome aboard. I'm honored to be here.
4: Thank you so much.
2: What is it that attracted you uh, to the whole issue of caregiving and elder care?
4: I'm going to hold up a binder. This binder, what attracted me, this is 12 years of medical, financial, legal, actual live documents when I was, I uh, didn't even know I was a caregiver. Like you said, I worked in pharmaceuticals and suddenly, unexpectedly, my father called me and said, Carolyn, I need your help. And I became a caregiver instantly. And this right here, I, I love holding up this binder because when a person becomes a caregiver, they're responsible for the medical, the financial, legal, spiritual, all aspects of an, their loved one's uh, well-being in life. So, What that- was
2: going on with your father?
4: My father had the early stages of dementia. I was living in California. He was living in uh, Colorado, and he would call me like at the last second, you know, and say, Carolyn, can you come over and help me? Now, how do you do that when you're living in two separate states? But I did it for two years, and I finally convinced my dad that he needed to come and live with me, although his his dementia was just very, very, you know, the, the early stages, so I convinced him to move to California and the rest was history because it went straight downhill as far as all the stagings, staging of dementia, what I went through, including my dad getting lost and me looking for him. And I, I became an elder care legislation advocate because caregivers really do need the help. And, and I go, this goes back to 24 years ago when I started
3: well, I, you know, you, you're you looking at your background, you have a, a, a wealth of um, information uh, and shows, books talking about this legislation. So over the 24 years, what's still rising to the top
4: for you? Well, this is what's rising to the top. Two years ago, I went back to California before the pandemic, still going to legislation, trying to get laws changed. And then it dawned on me that... The, legis- the laws don't, they don't need to be changed. And the reason why I say that is because the law is slow, but because my books are worldwide in over and five libraries, I'm going like the information is here. Just like you mentioned earlier, people know more about caregiving today than they did a year ago, five years ago, 20 years ago. So with all the wealth of information out there, and I commend you, you have 30 years underneath your belt being a caregiver advocate yourself, there's a lot of information that's out there if a person just goes to the library, go to uh, support groups, and really just want the information. So I actually don't legislate anymore because uh, I've been doing it for for almost 17 years, and basically they just continue to cut programs from seniors and from caregivers. So I've decided, let me really educate the public that we are responsible for keeping ourselves healthy by managing our own finances and really put a plan together, a family plan, so that we can really take care of ourselves towards end of life and just act as an advocate within our own family.
2: Well, we'll talk a bit about uh, your book, The Caregiver's Companion, Caring for Your Loved One Medically, Financially and Emotionally While Caring for Yourself. If you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio, and our expert who is with us on our Caregiver SOS on Air hotline from deep in the state of Florida, Carolyn Brent, and an author, a lecturer, uh, speaker, whose uh, uh, books are in almost every library in the universe, as I read your bio. Uh, what is it that motivated you to write uh, The Caregiver Companion?
4: What motivated me, I never had an opportunity as a caregiver, 12 years and working in pharmaceuticals at the very end of my father's life when he had a massive hematoma. Then all of a sudden, my siblings that did not want to get involved, they decided they wanted to take over my dad's care. So I found myself in probate court with elder abuse charges in three different uh, uh, counties in California. I would go to court, then my sister would drop the charges. That happened three times. And that's when I became so laser focused. I said, I said, how could this happen? And I was my daddy's only caregiver out of seven adult siblings. So I became laser focused. I never knew what day my daddy died when he died. I was told by a distant uh, relative that, oh, grandpa died two weeks ago and he was buried. So can you imagine the devastation in my life? So I, I either could have sunk all the way down to the bottom, which that's where I was headed, or I could raise all the way to the top to victory. So I, that's when I became an elder care legislation advocate. And it so happens I started writing books because I had to see a, um, a therapist that was helping me to get through my grief. And then that's when I discovered I had a lot to say, and the rest is history. Uh, Eight publishing companies has actually uh, promoted my work worldwide. That's how it's gotten so out there. But my story is not a unique story. A lot of families, they have this end of life issues and they fight with each other. That's why there's probate court. So I'm, I'm trying to help families. Don't fight. Everyone needs to work together, divvy up all the responsibilities because one person should not. Be a sole caregiver like I was. So it just so happens, I believe I was anointed and ordained to do this because I absolutely love it. I, I just I want to be a helper. I want to help people. And by the way, I'll be 65 years old in two months, and I will continue to do this until God calls me home to glory.
3: Wow. Uh, so that's I mean that's um, that's real passion uh, for you know it, it is it is a calling. You know, just listening to you speak. You were talking about, you know, coming together as a family and and making a plan. What is it that you like? What do you recommend? What do you want to see in this plan? What should families be talking about?
4: Well, the family should not be in denial. That's the first thing, because especially when a person has dementia, sometimes they're really lucid and they, they act normal. But then there's other times they may be up all night and wandering. My father got lost. He was 200 miles away before I found him. Thank God that there's a silver alert. But the families should put a plan together. And if somebody's excellent with finances and they are financially sound themselves, let that person handle the finances. Or if a person's a nurse or love being around elders, let that person be the, the, the spokesperson with the doctors. Everybody, I believe, has some type of gift and talent that they can contribute even the children they could read a book pick up a book and read it to grandma or grandpa they're contributing too so so just the little things that people should get together when they're when there are family members now it, Carolyn
2: Brent, it's it's great to hear that a silver alert reunited you with your dad how did that work out what had happened he drove off
4: oh my father i i was in denial i gave my father the car kit, keys Dad, go to the store, get me some sweets. I just wanted Dad to just have something to do. And Dad uh, was lucid. He got in the car, and uh, the store was like just maybe uh, several blocks away. A half an hour passed, then one hour, and then I just started just panicking. I drove to the store looking for him frantically there was no dad. There was dad in no place. And then I called the police. I called everybody in California. Help me find my father. And um, it was the uh, the California you uh, know uh, public uh, uh, silver alert. They called me at three o'clock in the morning and said, "We have your dad. He's in Yuba City, California." I had no idea where Yuba City was. It was two hundred miles away from where I was. Dad had wow. got lost. So that was when I got out of denial. I said, dad truly has dementia. And I immediately took away his car keys because that was like the worst day of my life. I was faulting myself saying, Carolyn, you knew he had some issues, but you ignored it. And I sobered up mentally quickly to realize, I mean, I'm really my daddy's caregiver.
3: Wow. That's such a scary story. But I mean, it's really important that reach that that denial oh. that all of us have um, when somebody is ill or has dementia. We want things to be the way that they were. Uh, and sometimes we just hang on to it for too long. Yeah. And we I, want
2: to see the glasses half full.
3: Yes. Yes. Well, um, we're going to you know, take a take a break in, in a minute. And, and I, I'd like to hear more um, about. Uh, sort of the plan, and you've got so many books. Uh, I've, I'm curious about, you know, some of the other subjects besides this family plan uh, that you recommend for our caregivers. Um, when you know, I'd like to see. I'd like to talk more about some of your other work as well.
2: Okay, I and we'll pick that up in just a moment. We thank you for being with us. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zernio, talking with Carolyn Brent, and uh, hearing some great stories. We'll talk more about her work as a health guru, as a bodybuilder, and a whole lot more. We thank you for being with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. Here's an offer caregivers can't refuse. How about a little hope, humor, and peace in caregiving? I'm Ron Aaron. Carol Zernia, what do you
3: think? Well, our 2021 Virtual Caregiver Summit will feature Loretta Woodward-Vini and Donna Cardillo, who are going to help us find the joy in caregiving.
2: November 4th, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., it's free. You can be part of the action for the Caregiver Summit with Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Join us to register, go to caregiversos.org, CEUs for healthcare folks.
4: Hello
1: So, please, you've
2: stuck with us right here on Caregiver SOS on air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zernial, and we're talking on our Caregiver SOS on air hotline with Carolyn Brent, an author, uh, advocate on behalf of uh, caregivers and caregiving everywhere. And we were talking about not only her book, "A, uh, a Companion for Caring for Your Loved One," uh, but about some of the other books she's written, and, and share with us some of your experience in bodybuilding and in uh, healthful eating.
4: Well, uh, great question. The only reason why I got into bodybuilding is because I wanted to write a book about health. As a caregiver, I broke my fifth metatarsal, my fifth bone on my right foot. And the doctor told me, Carolyn, you have a cast on. You need to take off for three months. I said, it's absolutely impossible because my father's private assistant living was $6,200 a month, which I was flipping the bill for that, at least half of it. So I continued to work thinking I'm superwoman. And what I ended up doing, Carol and uh, and Ron, I ended up messing up my back so severely until the doctor said, you're going to be in a wheelchair. This is it. Because, I mean, I was hunched over and I said, oh, not me. I'm not going to allow that. So I started really doing deep study and deep transformation with myself. I I studied uh, the study of the bones. I said, I've got to get around what this doctor's telling me. So I lost 20 pounds of fat, although I've never been fat in my life, but I lost 20 pounds. And then I said, I've got to build my muscles so I could so I could literally help my back. And that's why I went into bodybuilding and I wrote a book called Transform Your Life Through Self-Care: A Guide to Tapping Into Your Deep Beauty and Inner Worth. And I once again I went on stage at the age of 60 for a reason. When you're an expert of a subject matter, you gotta be number one. Otherwise, who's gonna buy your book? Who's gonna listen to you unless you truly have a story to tell? So I always share with caregivers, take care of yourself. You have no other choice. If you go down sick, who's gonna take care of your loved one? And that's that's the truth.
3: Well, what does what did the bodybuilding and working on your health, what did that do for you mentally? Because a lot of people have, maybe they've never done bodybuilding, they haven't really Um, explored that and and they don't understand kind of the correlation between physical health and mental health.
4: What it did, um, Carol, it allowed me to become closer to God. That was one of the most difficult things I've ever done is self-discipline. Discipline with what I was putting in my body, discipline with what time I would get up, discipline, discipline, discipline with bottomless discipline. So I became laser focused on getting rid of the, the GMOs in my body and, and learning why, do, why, do, why is Americans the most heaviest and overweight and sickest folks in the world? I started studying that. And it's because of fast food. What we eat, we're always in a hurry, hurry, hurry. I've learned it just slowing down and cooking my own food and knowing what's in it it changed my heart. It changed my, my liver. It changed all the problems, uh, health problems I was having. They suddenly went away. My back issues. I still have that, but I don't have to take, you know, like uh, medications of what I do. I exercise and I work around my injuries to stay healthy. In fact, I'm doing a show this weekend. I don't do bodybuilding, but I'm a trophy uh, presenter because I've won what, uh, one in my category and I they love seeing a sixty-four-year-old on stage passing out trophies. <laughs> and I love being there. I love I just love it.
3: Now that's that's fantastic. And and does the the discipline that you gave your body, does that give you mental discipline as well?
4: Absolutely. Because mentally if if, if a person can't focus on be laser focused mentally, they can't help themselves physically. So once again it was the hardest thing I've ever done because I had to become disciplined with me. So I became my best friend. I would talk to my, I talk to myself every day, Carolyn, get up, go to the gym and get it over with. I still tell myself that. So I tell people, you could be your own coach. You are cost effective. Get in the mirror, look at yourself and say, we're going to do it today. Let's do it. And then once you start doing it, it'll become a habit and a good habit. And then you'll just be hooked. It's, I mean, 30 days, you'll be a, a different, you'll have that different mindset. So I'm, I, I make myself, um, I zero in on people that think like me as far as, you know, in their 60s and over that really want to uh, take care of their bodies. And in Florida, there's a lot of seniors that have tremendous attitudes about, Carolyn, my feet are on the ground. I'm happy to be alive on this side of the earth. I mean, I I have conversations like that with seniors all the time. Seniors are always gravitating towards me and they think that I'm not in their age group, but I am in their age group.
2: I say to myself every day when I'm vertical, this is cool. I'd rather be vertical than horizontal, right?
4: (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: I just. Now Carol, uh, you, you don't often mention it, but Carol engages in physical activity through dance Uh, Through Zumba and for a while flamingo dancing and you made that a habit, right?
3: Well, that's right. And I and I I think it's really important, you know, for everybody to find something that gets them up and going, whether it's gardening, whether it's a little bit of dance, whether it's a walk around the block walking your dog, whether it's uh, weightlifting. It is amazing, you know, after a long day, and particularly in COVID, right? We feel so compressed and, and stressed, and there's a lot of anxiety. 20 minutes, just 20 minutes of some sort of physical activity changes my whole outlook on life, I have to
4: say. Yes, I feel the same way.
2: Carolyn, I want to ask you about another book that you wrote in 2011, Why Wait, The Baby Boomer's Guide to Preparing Emotionally, Financially, and Legally for a Parent's Death. Generally, we wait until after they die.
4: That's the problem. Uh, 65% of the U.S. population If you go to them and say, do you have a medical directive or an emergency plan in place for end of life? They're going to say, well, no, I have plenty of time to do that. And that people, nobody needs to wait. Everyone, if you're over the age of 18 and you are taking care of yourself, everyone needs to put something in place, especially a medical directive, because let's say that you're 18 years old and and you don't have parents, you don't have loved ones. If you get into an accident and you go to the hospital and you don't have a medical directive or anything in place, then you're saying state of whatever state you live in, come take care of me, stranger. Come take care of me. I didn't do it. So you get to do it for me. That's the way I get people to thinking everyone needs to put a medical directive, a living will, a trust or something in place, whatever their wishes are. I think it's imperative. And did so you ever
3: on. did you get a chance to have that conversation with your father or was it the dementia already you know he'd already had dementia before you were oh, able to make my dad me. and
4: I we had everything in place so we thought we had everything in place but we we went through the veterans and see that's where the gray area is that we weren't aware of when dad was lucid and healthy my father put all of his end-of-life wishes in place we went down to the veterans administration i signed the papers and i was you know i get, i gave an oath that i would take care of my father if he got sick now we thought that the state would abide by that we didn't know we did not know that we needed to put that same information with the state because at my father's end of life the judge told me oh what your father put in uh, as a veteran we don't acknowledge that. And your, your, um, your knowledge of not knowing this, that's not our fault. That's your fault. So that's why I tell people, put everything in state and federal. you got to do both because there is a gap. And if a person falls through that gap, no one's going to help you. And that's what happened to me.
3: Well, and I think you make a great point because you do all, you know, the states are different. The laws vary. um, There are different state forms for living wills, for powers of attorney. And you do want to have copies of the forms for the state in which you're providing care or the person that you're caring for lives.
4: Absolutely. Absolutely.
3: Yeah, great point.
2: And when you talk to caregiver groups and individuals, what are the messages you try to bring to them?
4: To not feel guilty to if you know you cannot do the job, don't feel guilty. Go get help. That's what I tell the caregivers. Don't feel guilty if you want to take a day off. Don't feel guilty if you need respite. Don't feel guilty. Caregivers feel guilty. They feel guilty going to the grocery store, going to get their hair done. So therefore, they go into this, this uh, it's like a cocoon, and they start feeling sorry for self. And then they start letting themselves go. So before they know it, they are worse than the person that they're taking care of because their health is gone. And I I deal with caregivers like that to this day. I'm, kind, I'm constantly uh, talking them into, okay, let's start all over. Let's, you know, give yourself permission to be angry if you're angry at, you know, your father. I got mad at my dad for getting sick. Of course, that's not his fault. But I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that. I acknowledge that I was upset with my siblings. Like, how dare you do this? Uh, how? And once I went through the five uh, stages of grieving with, uh, um, with Kubler-Ross, her, the five stages of grieving, I understood where I, where I was or, or where I am now. I still grieve all these years later, but i mindfully grieve. That's probably why I've written so many books, because it takes my mind off of me to help someone else. Well, we um, talked it, the
2: other day about saying no, and, and Carol, uh, that's a big challenge for caregivers.
3: Oh, yeah, say, saying no, um, saying yes. Sometimes, I mean, setting boundaries. We talked about setting boundaries, um, and it sounds like you had to sort of redefine your boundaries when your father got sick.
4: Oh, absolutely. I have my whole life changed. I'm not even the. I'm not even a tenth of the person I used to be. Uh, I've developed into a totally different person that i am today like my 17 years in the pharmaceutical industry i literally was the development this book uh in pharmaceuticals as a clinical education manager evidence-based medicine so if you don't have evidence then it's really a lie so what i did i always carried the my father's evidence from one doctor to the next to the next he thought i was insane but you know what it really really helped me to keep my doctor's or are
3: my dad's doctors organized? Oh, yeah. Having those, uh, you know, somebody keeping track, it's always good to have somebody in the family who's organized <laughs> and can get all the records in one place and pull them out. In my own family, my sister is the keeper of all of the records, and it has really um, helped many, many
4: times.
2: Yes. That's We're cool. about out of time, but I want to ask you very quickly, Carolyn. Uh, did the doctors believe you when you showed them all that evidence?
4: Oh, yeah. The, I actually, the doctors, absolutely, Yes. I uh, unfortunately, when I went to court, I never got a chance to show this to the judge because my sister would drop the charges and then have me in another court with the same fictitious charges. That's called a, a vexatious litigant. So, you know, I just tell people get everything in order put it with the state and federal wow. and you will not have to go through what my dad and I went through. Got to oh, stop
2: but- you right there. Carolyn Brent, we thank you so much for coming on. Is there a website people can go to to get more on you?
4: Yeah, Carolyn Brent. That's that. Just Carolynabrent.com or Carolyn Brent in Google. Everything I do, it's it's cool. no secret. It's out there. Just Carolyn. Thank you, Carolyn. Okay, thank you. I, on Come behalf on. of my
2: co-host, okay. Carol Zernial, thank you to Carolyn Brent. I'm Ron Aaron. Thanks for joining us on Caregiver SOS on air.